Yes, open your Bibles, please, with me to Matthew chapter 7. We are going to uh, conclude this morning the greatest sermon ever preached that should be an example to all of us as preachers that it can be done in less than 10 minutes. But it's not going to happen today. <clears throat> yeah. Too many comments coming from this side of the room. I'm glad I didn't hear them because it could have stolen my faith. That's right. Uh, let me see. Where am I? <laughs> Matthew 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through the end of the chapter, verse 29 today. Let's read it. I'll read it. You can follow with me, please. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And Lord, we stand in awe of your authority today that even as we read these words that we've maybe read hundreds of times, they are the eternal word of God, and they carry with it the wisdom of God, and the heart of God, and the purposes of God for your church and for us today as your people in 21st century California. So we ask today, Spirit of God, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us through your word and speak to our hearts today in a way maybe we've never heard you speak. And we thank you, Father, in faith ahead of time for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I prayed and studied this week and thought about this text, I thought, gosh, there's not too much that really needs to be said. It's one of those passages where you probably do it a disservice by talking about it too much. It's a parable, and parables are in themselves self-explanatory. But I think it would uh, be wise of us to maybe dwell on a few things today as we consider this. As I said a moment ago, this is uh, the conclusion of the sermon that Jesus preached. And I just want us to remember that he preached this sermon at the beginning of his ministry, pretty much at the beginning of it. Uh, this was him starting and launching now into his public ministry and he begins with the Sermon on the Mount that we commonly call it. And it says at the end of it that they were astonished at the authority that he spoke with, that it was different from the religious leaders. Isn't that a sad statement? It's sad in one sense that, that it's, it's so common to just hear words of religion. Even in our day to day, it's common. It's, 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 you can hear thousands and hundreds of thousands of sermons and teachings, but it's very seldom when I hear one and I go, wow, that has 
some weight to it that's unique or different. It's almost as though there's a different authority being spoken. I remember when I was a young, young pastor planted and led the first church up at the hill in Placerville. We had a family camp with another large church at the time. We were a small, young church. And there was a gentleman that had been invited in to do the teaching. He was from Scotland, Campbell McAlpine. My goodness, what a... So he taught a, a couple of nights or a couple of sessions the first night, and they asked me to come up and pray to introduce him on the Saturday morning. And I stood up there and I prayed and, and I asked for the Lord to anoint him for the, for the teaching. And I sat down and he stood up and very graciously and kindly and humbly rebuked me. And he said, he said son, he said, if I have not been anointed yet, I will never be anointed. And I thought, wow, that's true. And he was saying two things at once. He was saying that he had the anointing of God. We all have the anointing of God, right? Because we are in Christ. But also as a man of God, you must learn how to live in that and move in that. And he had learned that in his life, obviously, many years before. Jesus spoke with that authority because he was anointed of God. And it was different and it was unique. And so the words that he's been speaking now that we've been reading and looking at for the last few weeks, five, six, and seven in Matthew, are, are, are powerfully important and profound words. And, he's some, and he now is going to conclude it with a parable. And it's the parable that we just read. And there are four key words in this parable that we need to just acknowledge to begin with. They are the words hears, does, wise, and foolish. Hears, does, wise, and foolish. Say them. Hears, does, wise, and foolish. And I want you to notice in this parable that it is possible to hear and still be a fool. It's possible to hear the words of God and still just be a fool. But what makes one wise is to hear and then obey and to act upon what it, one has heard and what one knows to be true. It's possible to hear and still just be a fool. Now, it doesn't seem that it should be too hard or too difficult to act upon what we've heard because it's come from God. <laughs> that doesn't seem like such a hard thing to do. If God speaks, doesn't it seem that it would be natural to do what he says? That's, in fact, what is happening with us. Every time we read God's word, every time we hear God's word preached. But sadly, it is hard to put it into practice. We know it's hard to put what Jesus teaches into practice because, after all, it is a narrow path. It is a narrow path that he calls us to. Luke 6, 46 through 49 record the same parable but I want you to, I'm not going to have you turn to it. I'll just tell you this quickly. Interestingly, Luke precedes this parable by telling us something that Matthew doesn't. He tells us that Jesus said this preceding the parable, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's how Jesus introduces the parable in Luke's gospel. It sounds like what Jesus said previously in Matthew's when he said, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. But it was a different context that Matthew records it being said in. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? It's almost as though it's such a contradiction to do that. After all, the word Lord implies it's the title that, that there should be unquestioned obedience. When someone is your Lord and you're acknowledging that that one is your Lord, whether it's an earthly Lord or in this case, the eternal Lord of heaven, unquestioned obedience is the natural response or behavior to the words of the Lord. And yet, so often today, there is not that obedience we know in our own lives, unfortunately, because it's too costly maybe, too difficult, too narrow, or in some cases because we can't see the one who is speaking to us. If only I saw Jesus, that would be different. Well, in the case of the hearers in Matthew, it didn't make a difference to many of them. No, listen, brothers and sisters, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. The contrast in the parable, and actually the contrast throughout Scripture, often is between the wise and the foolish. This is a very, very powerful distinction that is made throughout Scripture. The difference between a wise and a foolish man or a wise or a foolish woman. Proverbs 3.35, I've read through them again this week, just wanting to dwell on the wisdom of it. Proverbs 3.35, the wise will inherit honor, living with wisdom. Excuse me. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools get disgrace. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools get disgraced. My eyes jumped up to another sentence there for a minute. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools will get disgraced. Proverbs 11.29, the fool, the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. The fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. And there are countless more, as you know. So we can see that Jesus' words that he's speaking at the end of the sermon have a great implication for life, for this life. It's a matter of living a life that has fruitfulness and has purpose. Or living a life that is always on the edge of ruin. And if you're like me, you know many who live lives always on the edge of ruin. Believers. I thought a lot about this this week because I, I was just meditating and praying and thinking about it. And obviously, I'm very familiar with the passage. I've read it, as have you. But it became increasingly real to me how, how this text speaks so much of, of the lives that we live that we're not even conscious of. How it just is, is it's the, it becomes the, the life of, of, of wisdom or the life of the fool just simply becomes the course of the life for us. 
that often we're not even conscious of. And I had the, the privilege of having one of my grandchildren in my home this week for a couple of days and being with him and, and, and watching him and, and then watching the family and knowing the family of my, my kids and thinking about my own family and, and, and how we live and how, we've, how we have lived our lives. I just sat often and I thought, the course of my life is blessed. It's blessed. It's not perfect, and no one in my family is perfect. And we have plenty of problems. But the course of my life, as I sat there and thought about it and prayed at times, I, I was so filled with thankfulness of God's goodness because he is honoring his word to us. Because we have sought to live, as I know many of you, in obedience to the words of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, I saw, I saw that Jesus is actually closing this sermon with an invitation. He, he, he throws out the invitation in, in Matthew 7, verse 21. Look at it with me. He gives a gospel invitation. But it's not one that we're familiar with. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's the invitation. There's a, he throws it out in a way that is, is not common. It's not the way we would hear the gospel being invi an invitation to it. But he does put out an invitation. But the invitation says in effect that you must enter into this narrow path through a narrow gate, as we read earlier. But that is what leads to life. But it's not going to be easy to do that because there are two opposite, two, two, not two opposite, but two different things that are happening simultaneously to keep us from entering that way. One, and he goes on to teach us, is that there will be false prophets. And secondly, there will be false professions. And both of those will resist this invitation to come into that narrow and to live on that narrow path, false prophets and false professions. And you can be deceived by either. And too many are deceived by either. You can be deceived by others or you can be deceived by yourself. And as I thought about it, I realized in verses 21 to 23, when he speaks of the Lord, Lord, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. He is saying in that statement that there are many who say, but who never do. And now he teaches us in this parable that there are many who hear, but who never do. There are many who have a verbal profession, but it only is a verbal profession. They say they belong to the kingdom. They say they know Christ the Lord, but they don't do what Christ the Lord says. And he says to us in this text previously, I never knew them. There is an appearance of spirituality. There are even works of power. And we know the devil can do works of power. We know the soul can exercise power. It's not God's power, though, Jesus said, I never knew them. And what makes them legitimate or illegitimate, listen, is not what they say. And it's not even what they do. Listen, it's what they don't do. 
Did you catch that? It isn't what they said, and it isn't even what they did. It's what they wouldn't or couldn't do. That's the narrow path. I've seen men with horrible character exercise power in the name of God, but they wouldn't stay married. They wouldn't deny themselves. It's what they couldn't do, wouldn't do. And then in verses 24 to 27 that we just read, there are those who hear, who, but who don't do. They have a head knowledge. They hear it all. They sit Sunday after Sunday, and they hear it, and they hear it, and they hear it. But there's never a connection between what goes into their ears and their heart. And people can be deceived in either way. The first group has empty words. The second group has empty hearts. A mere ver- verbal pro- uh, profession, when you just keep saying it and saying it until you finally convince yourself it must be true, until even though there's no evidence, is not true faith. Or a head knowledge that is filled with all of the theology and all of the understanding and can communicate all of the doctrine, but has no action that follows in terms of life, is not true faith either. And what they both have in common is they don't do, or they won't do what they say or what they have heard. In our 21st century, we understand very well the importance of the foundation we build upon. Be it in our businesses or our families or literally beneath our feet in our homes, our literal houses that we live in. And, you know, anybody in construction knows that depending on the amount of stories that a house is, it's going to directly affect the kind of foundation that you lay beneath it in terms of its width and even its depth. It has to be strong enough. And if it's a slab, which many houses are nowadays, it has to be without voids or hollow spots or weakness areas. It has to be level to bear the weight of the home and the life of life, the lives that will be upon it. But if it's not a true foundation, if it's not a sound foundation, you could end up with something like this. I looked at that and I thought, man, that's a pretty nice house. That's a craftsman home. That's, a, that's like an expensive home. And it didn't even look really that old. That goes to tell you, young guys and gals, your life can become a ruin at a young age. <laughs> Not just when you're old. And you know, it probably didn't happen overnight. It probably just began slowly. Or maybe this one, this is on the beach. And I don't know what happened to this one. I mean, yeah, it is. It was built on sand, literally. That's right. You see the stairs over there going to nowhere? (laughs) 
It's a stairway to not heaven. And then this one, this one already is seen, it's, 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 it's happened now. And this is what Jesus was speaking of, you know. I mean, that's probably Malibu or something. That's too small for Malibu. And I like this one because they're checking it out. It's like a curiosity. I always wonder, why would you build your house on the edge of a cliff? We've been driving up to Tahoe. We go to the North Shore, you know, every year for vacation. And uh, there's a house. I'm not exaggerating. They have been building this home for, I bet, the last eight, nine, ten years. And it's built right on the edge of a cliff, right off the highway. And they had to, the engineering must have cost them a million bucks. They had to dig piers into the side of this mountain. It's taken, just now it's beginning to take some shape. Because what had to happen had to happen below the surface before they could ever put any home on it. Or else you end up with something like this. Now, this one, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it looks like a barn. Maybe, you know, I don't know how they did that. Even. Jamie, maybe you can, you can explain that to me later, how that happened. Uh, I don't think I'd want to be on the on the left side looking at the picture. And then I love this because this must be a believer. They they took the Lord at his word. Now that's a rock. And then and then, then this one, this is cool too. It's a little narrow at the bottom, though, isn't it? <laughs> Can you see it? It's kind of hard to see, I know. I mean, we, we, know, we know that the foundation... I mean, I've seen lives that look like those first couple of homes. The issue is the foundation, that which we build our lives upon, but it's not seen, and yet it supports my life, and it determines my future. It's below the surface. You never have anybody come to your home and go, man, what a nice foundation you have. I love your foundation. <laughs> or you invite someone into your home and say, hey, check out my foundation. It's really a good one. No, they look at the wall, they look at the doors, they look at the paintings, they look, whatever they do if they look at something. But what is it that's giving it its trueness? is what is unseen, and that's so it is with our lives. It's the most important aspect of, of our lives, Jesus said, that which upon I base all that I am and all that I do, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and yet fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1.7 tells us. But what is Jesus speaking of? when he speaks of building upon a rock or upon sand. What he's saying, it's not just a matter of saying what is right or hearing what is right or true, but of doing what is right and true. And I believe that he is speaking of everything that he has said previously in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Let me remind you 
what he has said. He said it's those who understand the blessedness of humility and the beauty of poorness in spirit and of the power of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and even the blessing of suffering for the Lord. It's understanding that a greater love will free us from the sins that are common to men like anger and lust and self-preservation. It's building our lives on generosity and on prayer and on fasting and on trusting God daily, daily for our provision and not worrying about the future. It's a man or a woman who learns how to press into God, to seek God for what is unknown and to pray it into existence and then to begin to live out of the reality of that. Deep spirituality. It's learning to give others the benefit of the doubt, believing the best of one another rather than the worst. It's loving and treating others as we want to be loved and treated. It's growing in our wisdom to have discernment, to recognize that there is a spiritual battle and that there will be counterfeits and there will be false professions, that there is a counterfeit Christianity that does deny the Lord who died for us. It's a call to live a life that is on a narrow path and to resist the cries of the world to widen that path in order to accommodate the spirit of the age. In other words, it is the value system, the ethics, and the lifestyle of a new creation, of another kingdom, of a kingdom that will be ushered in in its fullness at the return of Christ, but has already come and is among us now. A.W. Tozer said, we must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the future world. We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the future world, of the world to come. And there's another parable that Jesus taught that we'll look at at some point down the road in Matthew chapter 25, parable of the ten virgins. Five wise, again, five foolish. You guys know the parable. It's not so hard to understand. And I'm not going to teach it today or speak of it. I'm not teaching it or speak of it today in the context that Jesus spoke it in that moment because it had to do with his return. But I want to tell you that it does affect how we live today. It speaks of the delay of Christ that distinguishes the wise from the foolish in this life. The fact that Jesus doesn't come back quickly, as we want, is what distinguishes often the wise and the foolish. It's, it's, the, it's the delay. It's the waiting. It's the living life day to day to day 
where the rubber meets the road between wise and foolish living. In other words, listen, listen. Wisdom is proven over time. It's proven over time. Because you're born foolish. Wisdom you have to gain. And Christ was teaching in this parable that being ready means being prepared for a long delay. Short-lived zeal is inadequate. The mountaintop experience is great, but you can't live in it because it will not last. And there will be rains, and there will be floods, and there will be storms in this life. Yes? And your life's foundation will be tested. It will surely be tested. And some tests are greater than others. And the tests that are the greatest are the ones that will prove the genuineness the most. I'm teaching at the Folsom Prison this afternoon, the women, and I'm in Daniel chapter 4, and it's the, it's the story of Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, and it's when he becomes crazy, and he ends up spending time as a crazy man, like, a, like an animal out in the fields. And it says that he had to stay there until the time was fulfilled. But the interesting thing of of Daniel chapter 4 is that it begins as though Nebuchadnezzar is giving his testimony. He recounts through the whole chapter what happened to him. And at the end of the chapter, he confesses faith in the living God. He gets saved. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved in Daniel. He's going to be in heaven. Good old Nebby. He's going to be there. I truly believe. But he had to endure something. So many people are falling away from the faith now. They're walking away from their faith. And usually it's because of a storm. Usually it's, become, it's because of something that, that attacks at the very foundation of their faith. Is God a good God? Does God truly love me? Does God hear me? Did God really say? And so many have that foundation shaken. And their faith slides like one of those homes we looked at into an abyss. Because it will, my faith, your faith, but more than your faith, the foundation, because... It's one thing to say your faith is shaken. It's another thing to recognize the very foundation of your whole life is what the issue is. What foundation is your life built upon? Can I ask you that? And don't say to me, I've been here every Sunday for the last 16 years. I will say to you, that's not enough. That is not enough.
Don't say to me, I made a profession of faith when I was four years old. I say to you, that was not, that's not enough. I will ask you, and I will ask me in my own heart this, what have you done with the words that you have said and you have heard and know to be true? Are you building your life upon those truths, upon those precepts, upon those values, upon the ethics of that kingdom and that new creation? Or is your life built on something the world is saying to you is important? Fame, wealth, happiness, recognition, success. I say to you, that's sand. It's sand. Because I guarantee, especially if you're a young guy or young gal in this room today, you may not have had it happen, but your life will be tested. And it won't happen more than one, it won't happen just once. It will happen again and again and again. Don't be self-deceived. Just being here is not enough. Just saying you believe is not enough. But it's those who say and who hear and then who do are like the wise man who built his house upon a rock. And so I ask myself again, I say, Lord, what foundation is my life being built upon? And I, I will say to you, I make this confession it's built upon the rock of Christ. Christ is my life. I live for him. I will die for him. I will serve him until the day that I die. I will say what is true. I will preach what is true. And I will, by the grace of God, live what is true. Not perfectly, but to the best that I am able by the grace of God. Amen. May we be that way, yeah? And this church be an example of, of that kind of people. Let's stand together. Let's give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God today. First of all, let me just say that if you feel like you are being tested right now, if you're being tested right now in a way that is, you know that it is a, a testing that is uh, shaking you at the very foundation of who you are, would you just raise your hand where you are right now so we can pray for you? Raise it up high so we can see it. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is family. Holden has got his hand up. Is there anyone else? that you feel like you're being shaken, being tested right now at the root of who you are. All right. I'm going to believe you even though I don't. Put your hands on that young man. We'll pray for Holden. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up our brother to you. In his humility and in his vulnerability and in his, his simplicity of heart, 
which we know you love. We ask you to strengthen him today in Jesus' name. Lord, where the enemy and where the world, where the spirit of the age is coming and wanting to undermine the very foundations of his life, of who he is, and of where he is going as a man, we ask you in Jesus' name today to strengthen and undergird him and give him wisdom to build, Lord, into the future on a sure foundation. Help him to make decisions for his life that are wise. Help him to trust you when those decisions go against the flow and go against the direction that everyone else is walking and going. Help him to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear, and quick to wait upon you. Thank you for holding, Lord. And for any other brothers and sisters in this room who are going through trial and testing, who are being shaken at the very foundations of their lives, we ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen and help them. For those enduring sicknesses, for those enduring financial difficulties, for those enduring relational difficulties, that even cause us to question at times your goodness, we ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen and protect and keep us, Lord. And for all of us, can we just raise our hands for a moment? Father, would you please give us grace to build on a sure foundation? And if we find ourselves, even now in our lives, feeling like we are in the, the camp of fools, it's not too late. We can come now, Lord, into a place of wisdom through obedience. And radical things can happen to change the direction and flow of our lives because we make decisions to obey you. So I pray for that today, Lord. I pray for those that are reaping the consequences of foolish decisions, not to beat themselves up, not to be self-condemned, but Lord, to find the grace of God to now say, no, Lord, I will obey you by your grace and I will do what you say. Strengthen me, Lord. Help me. Help me, Lord. Bless us. May our families be blessed. May our homes be blessed. May our marriages be blessed. May our businesses be blessed. May our relationships be blessed. May wisdom characterize us, O oh God. In Jesus' name. May children that have gone wayward come home, O oh God. May they come to their senses, Lord, and come out of foolishness and come into wisdom. We ask these things today because we believe that this is your will and we know that you are a good and a loving God and a good shepherd who will leave the 99 to go after the one. Thank you. Do that, oh God. We all have people in our mind and heart right now. We want you to go after them, Lord. Bring them back into the fold in Jesus' name. Give us wisdom, oh God, today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.